Our scripture reading this morning is from Proverbs 3, verses 3, uh, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean upon your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. We're glad you're here today. We appreciate you wanting to be a part of this worship service. And uh, we hope that this time will be profitable to you spiritually. I, I have the pleasure today to be able to introduce a new member to you, Peyton Reed, who's sitting right up here in the front. Peyton, just lift your hand up so they'll know you, okay? Uh, wants to identify with us. He's been a member at the Ninth and Main Church in San Angelo. He's visited with us for a while. We're glad that he has decided that he wants to cast his lot with us and be a part of this congregation. As uh, as happy as we are about that, we're sad that this is the final Sunday for Roy and Karen Feltner to be with us as members at Graver Road. Uh, they'll be moving to Leander this week, and we will truly miss them. They've been an integral part of this congregation for a long time. I know that you'll want to try to speak to them before they leave uh, and uh, wish them Godspeed in their new home. The Philippi had not been altogether pleasant for Paul and Silas. If you recall what Acts 16 tells us about Philippi and those two men being there, they had been arrested beaten with rods. In fact, many stripes had been laid upon them, the text says. Thrown into prison and uh, suffered that uh, difficulty. But they were undeterred in their work, and so Acts 17 tells us that they came to the city of Thessalonica. And unlike Philippi, Thessalonica had a synagogue. And so Paul and Silas, knowing that it would give them an opportunity to speak to religious Jews who would come there to worship, went to the synagogue. And they were rewarded for that effort by being allowed to teach from the scriptures for three Sabbaths, Saturdays in our words, three consecutive evidently Jewish worship days. And they were successful. Some Jews, Luke tells us, were converted. A large number of Gentiles, likely proselytes, or people who were leaning toward Jewish religion, although 1 Thessalonians 1 assures us that some had been idolaters and how they were turned to idol, from idols to the gospel. Also, some of the leading women of the area, maybe wives of leading men or just prominent women, had all embraced the gospel. But the problem of Thessalonica was that success wasn't viewed the same way by everyone. Because what we read is that Jews who were envious stirred up trouble. 
They didn't like the fact that people were being changed. And so verse 6 says, after they had gathered a mob, stirred up a group of people, came this charge. Those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. It's an interesting charge because in one way it certainly is true. Paul and Silas had shaken things up by their teaching. People had been changed in their outlook and had been brought to Christ. But in another way, the charge is incorrect. Because, you see, the truth is that the world was already upside down, even before Paul and Silas began their work. Sin had turned it upside down. And the teaching about Jesus had only served to help people turn their lives right side up, not upside down. When you and I look at our world today, it would be difficult for us to believe that our world is right side up. A lot of things indicate that it's really upside down. When sinful living is considered acceptable and even encouraged, you can be sure that society is upside down. When millions of unborn babies are murdered and the defense is simply freedom of choice, society is surely upside down. When many people believe that there is nothing wrong with two people of the same sex marrying in spite of clear Bible teaching otherwise, truly our society is upside down. When people say that right is not always right and wrong is not always wrong, but instead it's simply to be determined by whatever the situation is, you can know for sure society is upside down. You can almost hear the prophet Isaiah, as he said in Isaiah 5 verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We live in an upside-down world. I'm assuming that you're here today because you're interested in a right-side-up life. That you don't want to live an upside-down life, but a right-side-up life. And I want to assure you this morning that you can have it. It is possible. But only if you're willing to obey some inspired instruction on how to achieve a right-side-up life. And that leads us to God's Word, because that's where we find how to live a right-side-up life. There are many passages that we could think about today, but in particular we want to look at Proverbs 3. If you have your Bible still available and open there, I want you to hear again the words from Proverbs 3. Let's listen to the wise man in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Those words are very simple, and they're very easy to understand, and we need to think about them carefully. Here's what Solomon says. First of all, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You and I would understand that trusting isn't easy. It's not easy today, because our experience with people may cause us to question 
whether we can really trust God. Many think they can't trust people, so how can they possibly trust God? Most of us have seen too many examples of people who have led us down when we thought we could trust them. A number of years ago, I heard a, a little joke about a man who had a small son, and he took uh, that little boy and he set him up on a fairly high table, and then he backed away a little bit from the boy and he said, jump. And the little boy, with all the confidence in the world that his father would catch him, stepped off of the table. The man stepped further back and let the boy fall to the ground. And then he said, that'll teach you not to trust anyone. That's a sad kind of joke, isn't it? He thought it was funny. He thought it was teaching a lesson. But a lot of people in our life, maybe we ourselves, have felt like there have been times when we have stepped off expecting someone to catch us, and they haven't. They've let us down. Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. The heart represents the mind, the very center of our being. It's not that physical pump that moves blood through us. It's the seat of our emotions, and that trust has to be complete. In everything, no exceptions, at all times. That's the only true trust there is. Scripture provides us with a lot of encouragement and examples in this particular regard. We look even in the very earliest part of the Bible and we see men like Noah and Abraham who acted upon their trust in God and were blessed for it. Here is Noah very early in history being told to build an ark. And everybody around him must have thought, what a crazy guy to build a boat. What is he doing that for? Why would we think that made sense? But Noah trusted God and did what God asked him to do to the saving of his house. Abraham is told to, to leave his family and to leave his homeland and go to a place that he's never known, not knowing where he's going. He trusted God. And God blessed him with the promise being kept. Psalm 37 and verse 3 reads this way, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. And then verse 5 adds, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He shall bring it to pass. You see, the wonderful thing about trusting in God in everything is that we know He is trustworthy. God will keep His promises. Trusting in God with all your heart is the foundation of a successful right-side-up life. You cannot have a right-side-up life if you don't have a foundation of trust in God. Solomon adds something else in verse 5. Do not lean on your own understanding. I've read that the Hebrew word that is used here for lean was used to refer to a person using a cane or a walking stick. It was something you could put your weight on. It was something that gave you support. And that's the idea here is that you don't trust your support in yourself, but you trust someone else whose understanding will we lean on. Well, I know one thing. We're going to be tempted to lean on our own. 
Because there's something about us that makes us think we can work it out ourselves. That we don't really need help. That, that we can do it. Really? Our experience should have taught us that Jeremiah was correct when he wrote, Oh Lord, I know that the man, the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. What Jeremiah saw in Jeremiah 10:23 is what we've seen in our own lives. It's really not in us to direct our own steps. We make too many missteps. In the same third chapter of Proverbs, verse 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. We don't need our own wisdom to guide us. We need other wisdom. Doesn't it make sense to lean on God's understanding? Isn't He wiser than we are? Can He not see things we cannot see? Does He not know things we cannot know? Why not lean on His understanding? But if we're to lean on God's understanding, it means that we have to know the will of God in order to know His understanding. And in order to do that, we have to go to the Word of God because you can't know the will of God without the Word of God. A lot of people don't understand in our society and day the harm that biblical ignorance actually does. You can't do right when you don't know what's right. And you can't know what's right until you use the book that tells you what's right. You don't figure it out on your own. We don't stumble into obedience. We don't accidentally do what God wants us to do. It has to come from knowledge. And that knowledge is in God's Word. David was certainly correct when he said that God's Word was a lamp to his feet and a light to his path. Psalm 119.105 Refusing to lean on your own understanding and instead leaning on God's understanding will give you the kind of guidance that you need to begin building that right-side-up life. The, The foundation is trust. As we build a superstructure, that is not leaning on our understanding, but, but trying to direct our attention to God's understanding. And then finally in verse 6, the wise man says, In all your ways acknowledge Him. Most of our English versions uh, use the same word, acknowledge. It's not really the best word, I don't think. The, the Amplified Bible may state it the best way, In all your ways know recognize and acknowledge Him. My understanding is that the Hebrew word signifies intimate knowledge. That is, really knowing God. Not just knowing about God or knowing that there is a God, but really knowing God, having some kind of intimate knowledge. That reminds us of the wonderful prophecy that was given to Jeremiah concerning the new covenant of God. Those who would be a part of the new covenant, of them God said, they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Jeremiah 31:34. To be a part of the old covenant, all you had to do was to be born into a Jewish family. Babies were automatically a part of the Jewish covenant after circumcision because God had given them into a Jewish family. But that's not the way with God's new spiritual family. You have to know God. You have to understand what God wants. And that's why the wise man says, in all your ways, 
know Him. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. All our ways demands all our time. And whether we're praying privately or we're worshiping collectively or we're living in public, it means that we yield to God because we know Him. We know what He is and what He wants and what He expects of us. I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. We use the word atheist to describe a person who does not believe there is a God. But the truth of the matter is that there is a practical atheism even among those who profess to know God. Because any time we start living our lives without consideration of God, without thinking of God, then we're atheists. We're without God. We're without Him if we don't let Him be our full-time God, our all-the-time God. God is never a part-time God. David told his son Solomon, Know the God of your father and serve Him with a loyal heart and a willing mind. Second, First Chronicles 28, verse 9. Now what does that get you? You acknowledge God in all your ways. You, you give your knowledge to, uh, you, you seek the knowledge of God so that you can follow Him. And what does that get you? A straight path. He will direct your path. That's what a straight path is. A directed path. A path that gets you to the right destination. Doesn't lead you the wrong way. Leads you the right way. And He will, through His Word, show us the way. He's gone to great efforts to try to make sure that we have all the help we need to be able to find the path to follow. His inspired Word. We, we have the, the body of believers to encourage us and to bless us. Acknowledging God by complete obedience makes it possible for us to find the right way. There are a lot of people today walking the wrong path. But you understand why. They don't trust God in everything. They don't acknowledge Him. They don't seek to do His will in everything. They're on the wrong path can't be on the right path unless you acknowledge Him in all your ways. And that leaves us with just these questions. Are you trusting God with all your heart? Are you leaning on His understanding instead of your own understanding? Are you letting God give you the path that you need to follow? If you don't obey the conditions... You can't expect the benefits. You know, we know that in normal life, there are a lot of things that are conditional. If we don't fulfill the conditions, we don't get the benefits. It's that way spiritually. God has made it simple in one way for us. We can understand exactly what He wants. But it's difficult because, in another way, because we have to yield to Him. We have to stop trusting in ourselves. We have to put our faith in Jesus as the Son of God, understanding that we can't be saved without His sacrifice. And based upon that belief that we have in Him, we have to turn from our sinful ways, resolving not to live that way anymore. We have to confess before men our faith in Him and then allow ourselves to be immersed in water so that our old life can pass away and a new life can begin. Not difficult. And yet difficult. 
because it means a full surrender. We sometimes sing the song, I surrender all. That's the only way you can really surrender to God is surrendering all. If you haven't done that this morning, why don't you do it? If you're a Christian, you're not living faithfully. Why don't you come back? Let us pray with you and for you. Is your life upside down or is it right side up? If you need to come, please do while we stand and sing.